0: Thank you so much, Mike. Like he said, my name is Eric Gill. I work here with the youth. Recently, I well, not recently. I w- I started here at Maranatha doing exclusively uh, middle school ministry. Then, uh, when Mike transitioned out of the high school, I moved to the high school ministry. And just uh, for the past, I guess, three weeks, I am now back to the middle school while also doing the high school ministry. And like my share, it is, it is an interesting ministry, to say the least. I mean, this past weekend, we went to a retreat to uh, Stonic Glens. I don't know if you know of that place. It's about an hour and a half from here. And uh, it, it was interesting, to say the least. Uh, it was a great time. God did some great things, but... Middle schoolers, they're fun. They're just, they're easy. And I wish I could have the time to tell you all the stories, all the things that happened, that it will make you either do things, laugh with me or laugh for me, you know. It's kind of like, oh, poor guy, poor Eric. Uh, But no, I love what the Lord has brought me here, man. I love what the Lord is doing here. And, you know, today we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes 8. And I was listening to Mike's message from last week, and you know, last week he talked about the wisdom, right? And he he addressed chapter 7, and chapter 7 is entirely about wisdom. And he brought up the example of of chapter 7 being kind of like a grandpa, looking at his grandkid and telling them wisdom, hey, do this, consider this, asking them questions, and how those questions will prompt them to think. And so... In chapter 8, you will see that wisdom is still going to be essential for us to understand chapter 8. In chapter 8, Solomon is going to deal with these three major things. Three major things that I am sure you're familiar with. I am sure you have heard it before. I'm sure you are aware of it. But three things that depending on the season of our life, depending on what we're wrestling with, we tend to struggle or we tend to forget. So today that's what we're gonna be doing. And we're gonna be starting with verse one. And the way I'm gonna do it tonight, just so you know, I'm gonna go verse by verse, and then I I will read the verse, explain it, read the verse, explain it. But the very first thing that he's gonna do, considering what Mike taught last week and what he brought up about wisdom, in the first verse, he's gonna bring everything to kind of like a conclusion. And he's gonna say this: he says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. So right there in verse 1, he said three things about wisdom. The first thing is, who can compare to a man that has wisdom? Who can? I mean, think about it. Whenever you find yourself in a place that you're vulnerable, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to do, who do you tend to go? to someone who is wise. It don't matter how old you are, it don't matter how much you have experience in life, there comes times where you don't know what to do and you are going to go to people that are wise. Those men that are wise, those that have wisdom cannot compare to anything. No matter how much money you have, it doesn't compare to a man with wisdom. It doesn't matter how much you know about life, it doesn't compare with someone with wisdom. That is why wisdom is so important. And I just want to tell you this side note, I am so excited for you guys because you have Mike Duma as your leader. You know, I know you had Craig, and Craig was great and all that. But I'm excited because you have Mike Duma. And i tell you this, I have known Mike for a couple of years. Sorry, Craig. i know Mike for a couple of years. And I, I, if I can brag of him, let me just tell you, even though he's young, he is wise, and the way that you know that he's wise is because he can give, he can, you can go to him and you can say things that you're dealing with, things that you're facing, and he is very wise in giving you very applicable steps that you can do. And that's wisdom. The second thing he says is here that kind of relates to that is, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? The man who is wise is able to interpret things that you are not able to interpret it. Think about whatever area of your life, whether it's business, your marriage, your friendships, uh, even sports. Like I just just today, I was talking with a brother. Uh, I don't. He was worried on All Ohio State. All right, here, my brother. I was just asking him a question about football because I don't know much about football. I'm new to this idea of uh, American football, but I love it. And even in the restroom, I was asking him. And in that matter, my my brother is wise in wisdom. But someone who is wise is able. To interpret things that you are not capable of doing. So the challenge is or the thought process is, are you that man? Are you someone that you're wise enough that when someone comes to you, you are able to help them interpret things? And then the third thing he says here is at the very end of verse 1. It says, a man with immense wisdom made his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. In other words... If you are wise, you could be the ugliest man in the world. You could have the, ser- the most serious face in the world. People will be drawn to you. Now, if you were to consider Maranatha and the history of Maranatha, if you were to consider all the pastors that have come true, we all know which pastor is the most handsome one. Not because we think he's handsome, but because he told us, right? And that is Pastor Craig, right? Here's a picture. I mean, how, you know, look. Now... Let me tell you this about Pastor Craig. I, have no, I, I only worked with you maybe a year, right? A year and a half, something like that. Now, with Pastor Craig, and I know this is true of you as well as your opinion of him. Pastor Craig, you're not drawn to him because of how handsome he is. You are drawn to him because of his wisdom. So someone like him, someone, whoever it is, wisdom attracts people to you. That's why wisdom is so important. And so, with this idea, with this concept, then we're going to jump in into the three areas of wisdom and how it relates to us. So, the first one is wisdom as a how uh, wisdom as it relates to authority. It says in verse in verse second, I said, uh, keep the king's commands because of God's oath to him. Be no hasty, be no hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lies heavy on him. Let's stop right there. So, wisdom as it relates to authority. Now, we all, just so you know, the specific context of the passage, it relates It refers to someone who is in the presence of a king. Now, obviously, in America, we don't have a king, but we all have someone in authority in our life. Whether it's your boss, for some of you, that's your wife. Whether it's your boss, whether it's, you know, uh, the government authority in America, who is the president or even the local authority, or even the authority that comes from God. God being your authority. We all deal with authority. And in this verse is that we're going to break down, we're going to see some practical steps that I'm sure you know, I'm sure you have heard, but yet we tend to forget. So, let's look at the first one. The first one is going to be, be patient. In verse, in verse uh, 3, he says, be no hasty to go away from his presence. You know, a lot of times when we're dealing with with people that are our our boss, or people that have authority over us, we tend to be very impatient. And in dealing with them, we tend to move away from their presence way too quick. And if you consider the context of a kin, if you consider what it was to be in the presence of a kin, by leaving quickly from his presence when he wasn't done, two things could happen. You could either get reprehended or punished, or you could miss out on so great opportunities. In the same way, because we tend to be people that are very impatient, we can miss out on opportunities or we can get ourselves in trouble. I mean, just a side note, just today I woke up this morning and my phone, is not working. And, and maybe you have had that happen to you where you have to call Verizon or some companies and they put you on hold. I am someone that when it comes to that, I am very impatient. The moment that I hear the, 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 the thing talking in my ear saying, for quality purpose, this thing is going to be recorded, I am ready to hang up. If I don't get someone on the line right away, I am ready to hang up. In the same way, we tend to do these things when we deal with people that are leaders. We tend to be very quick to move away from them. Picture this, you are your, are your, are your office or your work and there is something that is pressing, something that you wanna get done, something that you've been wanting to get done and you have presented that to your boss. However, time has gone around and you're not able to get, the, to get it done. What is your tendency? You tend to either forget, you tend to move away from it, or you tend to just ignore it. I mean, Pastor Butch says it all the time, he says, you'll be surprised what you can accomplish in five years. Anytime he says that, it's like, I get it, Butch, but can we get it done today, right? That's how unpenished we are. In the same way, think, consider your relationship with God. You've been praying to God. You've been asking God for something specifically over and over for a season of time, but God is not answering your question. What do you do? You're hasty to move away from it. You're quick to move away from it. So the first principle is to be patient. The second one is in in the same verse 3. It says, do not take your standing in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. So the principle is don't be a fool. That's a very simple one. Too, right? You, that's, I don't need to explain it that long, but don't be a fool. A lot of times when we don't get our way, when, we think, when we're dealing with a boss, when we're leading with someone in authority, we are quick to, if, we're, if, if we don't like them, if we oppose them, we're quick to do something that will get into our nerves. We're quick to do something that they will not approve. And in doing so, we're lacking wisdom. In doing so, we are not being smart, and in doing so, we get ourselves in trouble. Wisdom tells us that if a king, consider a king, once they decree decree something, it is law, whether you like it or not, whether you agree or not. If you go against it, you're going to have to deal with the consequence of it. Wisdom tells you, do what you're told. The third thing is, there is no point in arguing. Look at verse 4. It says... For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? A lot of times we are so passionate about what we want. A lot of times we are so passionate about what we're going to get across that we are so prone to argue, that we're so quick to get into arguments with those in authority, to, to, hoping that we can switch their minds around. Now, I'm not saying that arguing is entirely bad. You can argue with people and get some product and get some result. But once someone in authority has made up their minds, there is no going around it. I mean, if you're a parent, you know this because your kids will come to you. And if you have made up your mind about something, it don't matter what arguments they bring to the table, your mind is set. And so wisdom tells you, don't waste your time on that. But consider other options. Wisdom tells you, understand that there is no point in arguing once you're a leader, once those in authority have made their minds on something. The fourth thing, which is kind of like verse 2, uh, the, the second point is obedience keeps you out of trouble. He says, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart, the wise heart will know the proper time. Oh, wait, no. The fore, whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. Let's stop right there. Obedience keeps you out of trouble. That is very clear. That is very obvious. If you do what you're told, you will stay out of trouble. Yet, when it comes to authority, we tend to challenge it. We tend to do things the way that it's not supposed to do. For example, in our office here, Maranatha, we have a rule, or whatever you want to call it, where we're supposed, staff members are supposed to wear the mask the moment they walk out of the office. Now, I tend, I hate, I don't like wearing the mask, so I tend to either I don't want to wear it or I forget. But rules tells me, or what they, what has been said is that Eric wear your mask, right? Whatever is your opinion. And if I was wise, I would wear it no matter what. However, because I'm not wise in that matter, I don't wear. It. And it has been in the past two weeks, Butch have come to me three times where he's like, Eric, you've got to make sure that you're wearing your mask in the office. But if I was wise, obedience would have kept me from those conversations with Butch. And then the last one, and, and, I, and I love this one. And, I, and even though it apply, is specific to authority, it applies to your wife, just if you're married. I learned this even as a year, two years of marriage. But the last one is, be strategic on how you voice your disagreement. It says here in verse, you're like, amen. Verse 6, it says... For there is a time and a way for every, uh, verse, at the end of verse 5, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. All the main struggle lies heavy on him. It doesn't matter how pressing the things are in you. You have to be wise in how you voice your disagreement. I remember this. I learned this very young uh, as, a, as a, you know, when I was a teenager because I grew up in a very conservative home where my parents didn't allow me to do pretty much anything. And uh, when I was growing up, I remembered that I always wanted to go on sleepovers to my friend's house, which my parents didn't allow me. But this particular day, uh, year, I was 16 years old, and this particular uh, week of life, my, there was tension in my family. And this one day, my older brother got in big trouble, and I saw how my mom just ate him up he just yelled at him she got he got in big trouble because of what he was doing and i'm thinking there as i'm watching all this play out i'm thinking "Ooh, this is my time this is my time for me to ask her to be able to go to my friend's house so i did so i went to her the moment she started yelling i went to her and said hey mom look uh i call her mommy spanish hey mommy i uh I've been good. You see, like, I'm not like Eddie, my old, my brother. Look at me. I've been good this week. Is this a good time for me to go to my friend's house? Please, please. What do you think she said? Nope. She said, nope. And I was shocked. I was like, are you kidding me? I am the good kid today. Why are you not granting this to me? Like, you should have given this to me. But then I learned a lesson that she told me. It was like three weeks later, I went to her room, and I asked her, why didn't you let me go? And she said this. She said, Eric, you, if you were smart, you will know that there is a time and a place for you to say things. Blew my way, blew my mind away. I didn't know that. I didn't believe that. I didn't know that that was a thing. But this is the same principle that you see here. If when you're dealing with authority, there is a time and a place that you can do, that you can bring up disagreement, that you can think that you can talk things around. If you are wise, basically, to put it plainly, you are able. To get your way, when it comes in a relationship with your boss, when you're able to get the things that you want, when it comes to relationship with authority, maybe some of you you're you're a boss and you have seen this being played out with your employees when they know when is the right time to get at you when you're happy when you're content when the business is going great. It's the same principle that we see here that uh, I almost say James that Solomon is talking to us. So. Moving on, we see that wisdom as it relates to the future. Let me read to you verse 8. It says, No man has power to restrain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is not the charge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So he says four things here that, as it relates to wisdom. And what we will see is that at the end of the day, wisdom should lead, to, should lead you to realize that you don't have control over these things and the first thing he says is no man has power to restrain the spirit now the word spirit used there is the actual word that should have been used is wind uh uh, window wind if you look at the original language it refers to wind so the first thing that you need to realize is that we have no control over the weather we don't have any control over that if you uh, if you ask mike i love softball i love playing softball if it's a day, if it's to, if, if, for example, if on Wednesday is when we particularly play, on Wednesday at 8 a.m., I was all ready to play softball, even though the game was at 6.30 p.m. But that's how excited I love. But whenever it rains, I will get extremely mad. I will get very frustrated because I would look forward for this. Wisdom should remind me that I have no control over weather. The second thing you see here is, uh, you see, it's, or power over the day of the dead. Another thing we don't have problem is, uh, or control over, is death. We cannot add another day to our life. We cannot take another day of our life. We have no control over that. Wisdom should tell us that we have, like I said, no control over that. Third thing we see is, is war. He says here, there is no discharge from war. There's no discharge from what meaning? Like if you can see at the time, war was so present. Wisdom should tell you that you're not able to pull yourself out of the, the line of duty when you have already been called to war. You have no pro, uh, control over that. And lastly, you have no control over, and i put it in this way, salvation. It says here in verse, uh, at, the, at the end of verse 8, it says, Nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Those who are given to, witness, to, uh, to wickedness are not going to be able to, be, to come out, uh, out of it. Those that dedicate their life to do what's evil will die by their evil. Kind of like that verse that says, by the, or I know, yeah, by the, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Right? That is what wisdom should lead you to realize. And so, you may be seeing these things and you may be considering, you know, I, I don't really care about weather. I don't really care about that. I don't really care about this idea of war. But there are things in your life that you wish you will control. Things in your life that you wish that you had a, a saying, that you wish that you could, get a, that you could change things around to have to, for them to happen the way that you want them to happen. Wisdom, wisdom should lead you to the conclusion that you cannot do that. Consider COVID right now. Consider all the aftermaths of COVID. Whether you think it's a real thing or not, COVID is around, right? At least the, 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 the concept of it is around. And when you consider COVID, if you're like me, I wish I could get rid of it completely. I wish that today we could go back to normal, but I have no control over that. But you know who does? God. And that is the most encouraging thing. Just this past weekend, uh, like I said, two weeks. I said it earlier when I started. The middle school ministry, uh, the guy who was leading, it just hap- uh, he decided to resign. So that uh, opportunity uh, or that role was given to me. And in a span of two weeks, I pl- we had to come up with this event that was happening this past weekend uh, for the middle school retreat. This event uh, had a lot of limitations because of COVID. There was a lot of things that were going to look different. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, all of this is out of control. I wish I could change a lot of these things and make them the way that I want them to be but they were out of my control. But guess what? They were not out of the control of God. And after the retreat is over, after the last day, we're ready to pack things up, one of my leaders come to me and say, you know, Eric, I have some great news. One of the students decided to trust in Jesus as their savior. And so when you things in your life are out of control, the reality is that God is still in control. There's nothing that surprised him. There's nothing that is out of his hand. He is in control. And even when we don't see him working, even when we think that things are just chaotic, he's still working. And that is what wisdom should lead you to. To realize that even though you cannot control the circumstances of your life, there is a God that is in control. And that is what wisdom should lead you to, that conclusion. And the last thing is that wisdom as it relates to the unfairness of the world. You don't have to look far to see that this world is unfair. You don't have to walk to, you know, you don't have to talk to so many people to see that this world is broken. That there is so much hurt, so much suffering, so many things out of hand. And what we're going to see here as Solomon is writing this this chapter is how wisdom is so important when it comes to dealing with this idea of unfairness in the world. Verse 10, it says, Then I saw the wicked bury, they used to going out and out of the holy place, and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. Uh, he is saying, Solomon is saying, listen, in my time in life, I saw how those people that did wicked things were buried as someone who did great things. And people loved them and people praised them. And in the other way, those that, were, that did great things, that were buried with no honor and no praise. If you, have, if you remember, there was this big drug lord named, drug, uh, yeah, drug lord named Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar was the biggest drug lord that there has ever been, at least during his time. And and he was able to come up with many things uh, as a way to get his product around the world. But one thing that Pablo Escobar was, he was a criminal and he was an evil person. He'd hurt people over and over. He'd destroy them. Yet, you know what is interesting? If you were to go to his hometown, home country, they look at him as a hero. They look at Paulus Kobar as someone who did great things, as someone that was able to bless him, even though people in that town suffered the repercussions of Paulus Escobar's actions. That is how broken this world is. I mean, I'm sure you have stories of your own people in your life that they did terrible things that you know of the things that they have done. You know how all the bad things, that if you could list it out and you could come bring them out of life, you would. Yet you know, yet they're still being praised for who they were. But you know that that shouldn't be the case. That's how unfair the world is. Then he says in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of men is fully set to do evil. He's saying here, another thing that I have observed in my life is that justice takes time. It takes time for justice to take place. And because it takes time, it leads people to continue to do evil consider our social uh, our justice system in america it takes time for those that do b- bad things to to deal with the consequence of the problems and because of that you see that more people are encouraged to do those things and what you see here in, 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 in the chapter is that you see that because not justice is delayed it, it allows for people to do more evil things but then look at verse 13 all uh, right yeah verse 13 Sorry, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolong his life, yet I know that that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. So even though they can get away with evil a hundred times, wisdom tells you that it's better for them to repent and to fear God. So what does that mean to us? If you consider your life, I know because I'm guilty of this, and I, this is true of my life, there's that one sin in your life that it repeats itself. There's that one sin in your life that you committed over and over. There's that one sin in your life that if you were, were to deal with the consequence of that sin so quickly, if you were to deal with the consequence of that sin the moment you commit them, your life will be a mess. And yet, because justice is delay, you take your time. For some of us, for some of you, maybe the sin is pornography. And because you can get away with watching pornography, because no one is coming out and seeing you in the, and catching you in the act, it encourages you to the next day to watch it again. And the next day to watch it again. And the next day to do it again. For some of you, it may be that you like to drink. And then when you drink, you get drunk. And, in, and then one day you do it and you get away with it. And the next day you do it and you get away with it. Then for some of you, it may be lying. You love to lie or you have a tendency to lie. And because no one catches you in the bluff, you keep lying and you keep lying and you keep lying. What we see here is that wisdom tells you that even though you can get away with it a hundred times, it is better for you to fear the Lord. Why? Look at the next verse. It says, but it will not be well with the wicked, neither will will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Why is not well for him? Because at the end of it all, death is around the corner. And at the end of it all, he's going to have to stand before just God and give account for everything that he has done in his life. And even though in this temporary life he can get away a hundred times, when it comes time to stand before God, he's going to have to deal with the consequence of his actions. And so wisdom too tells us that it is not a matter of getting away with things, but more a matter of fearing God and doing what honors him. Verse 14, he's going to transition a little bit here in the same idea of unfairness of the world. There is vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. Now, we all have been in this position in our life where we ask the question, why does the just have to suffer? Why do just people have to suffer? Why is this war so unfair? I mean look at these pictures that are gonna come on the screen. If you look at them, why is that the case that uh, why is that it happening in this world where in one side in one picture you have a mom with a daughter just playing and underneath you have a family that you can tell that they're being separated. Or you have one in a line where kids are eating, getting in line to get food while the other kids are getting in line to go to school. Or you have the kid who is working while the other kid is getting ready to get education. Or you have one girl that is, you know, that one is more like a Photoshop where, you know, family have the money and is able to afford those kind of things. Where the other one, you can tell that the kid is in, in, in such a terrible condition. Why is this the world? Why is this happening? Why is it an affair? Look what he says in verse 15. Because this is the reality, because this is happening, he says, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but, to, but to, uh, to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him in his toll through the days of his life, that God may give him under the sun. So, basically he's saying here something very similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 6.25. He's saying, because this world is broken, because this world is unfair, it was broken before you were born. It is broken now, and it's going to keep broken. It's going to stay broken until the day that Jesus comes back again. Wisdom should lead you to this conclusion, which we see here in in Matthew 625. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly fathers feed them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arranged like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So wisdom should tell you, to lead you to realize that this world is broken. Wisdom should lead you to realize that there is nothing that you can do that is going to change the fact that this world is broken. It should lead you then to a point to lead you to a point where you know that it is your responsibility to seek first the kingdom of God. That it is your responsibility to seek after what God wants for your life. That's what wisdom should lead you to do. And then he says here in verse 16: He says, When I apply my heart to wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth. How neither day nor night, do, how neither day nor night, do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the works that is done under the sun. However much men may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is what he's saying. In all my life, in all my years in life, with all the wisdom that I had. I look back and I was not able to find an answer to the issues of the unfairness of this world. Even though I dedicated my whole life and I dedicated of time of my life to looking for these answers, I was not able to come to the conclusion of this. Look what Romans 11.33 says. It says, is that on, is that on, on the, okay. All oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. We are never going to be fully able to understand the wisdom of God. We're never going to be able to have an answer for everything that happens in this world. We will never be able to understand why we're faced with what we're facing today. But we have someone who does, which is God. God. And like I said earlier, wisdom should lead us to a place where we trust him, where we follow him, where we seek after his kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to split on, or you guys are going to split. You are going to turn to your tables and you're going to discuss on three of these questions for the next 15 minutes. Here's the questions that I, I, I have for you guys. Principle for dealing with authority. Uh, just a, re, a, a review. You have be patient. Don't be a fool. There is no point in arguing. Obedience keeps you out of trouble and being a strategic on how you voice your disagreement. Of all of these principles, which one do you struggle the most? And then share why. The second question is, why is it so hard for us to understand that we cannot control our future, that we cannot control the circumstances in our life that we're currently facing? And lastly, how would you go about sinning if every time you sin, you would instantly? deal with the consequence of the sin. So you guys have 15 minutes and then I'll come back up and then I'll wrap things up.